0: Hello everyone and welcome to Why Did Peter Sink? We're going to do something a little different today. This is the Christmas special and I need some special effects to introduce this, some bells or something. But this one is titled, The Problem with Cute Little Manger Scenes. I'm talking about the infancy narratives of Jesus and some of the caricatures we see of this that where there's uh, emoji-type characters or cartoons. I'm looking at one. It was from Dreamstime.com, where there's snow on the ground in Bethlehem. Uh, there's a shooting star. There's a camel and a, sh- and a couple of sheep smiling. There's a lot of people around. There's an angel. They have all the major players, all the people, Mary, Joseph, Jesus. They're all s- very happy cartoons, they all have eyes that are very close together on their heads. The three wise men are there. There's snowflakes falling through the sky in Bethlehem. Of course, snows all the time there. And this is these are great. These are wonderful things if you are under 10 years old or if you've already returned like a child, as Jesus said, and have faith. But... If you haven't returned like that, or you're older than ten year old, ten years old, and say you're learning about the periodic table and plate tectonics and history and whatever subject, um, then these these cartoon versions of these nativity scenes are a little harder to take and take seriously. They they're great because they encapsulate the major events of the incarnation of God and the person of Jesus for two groups of people, and those are children and people who have already returned, like children, who have turned back to God if you've, if you've gone away, and I include myself in that group. However, for those who are doubting and for those who have never believed in the first place, and also for those who have already turned away, these cute little manger scenes uh, can appear as childish nonsense, really. And worse, the cute little manger scene doesn't tell the story that is in the actual text. Even the Charlie Brown version takes out all the pain and the terror and the suffering and the glory of what happened in these events. The cartoon version has its place and purpose for telling the overall story of the infancy narratives, but it's not quite right. Uh, they They don't tell the story like what you get when you read the actual books of Matthew and Luke. These simplified images just gloss lazily over the real struggle and the challenge and the fear that cries out subtly, but constantly from the understated biographies of the infant who came to be known as Jesus of Nazareth. So this charming story, the cute scene in the manger, it's watered down. It's nearly absurd for doubting teens and adults. And the biggest question is how many of us have actually read these biographies, the Gospels of Jesus, and these actual uh, events closely? I'm not saying you just read them and look away, you read them closely. And while I'm kind of coming down on some of these cartoon versions, uh, we'll come back to the cuteness of them later because in the infancy narratives there is something to be said for images that tell the story um in one one screen one picture one small nativity scene but what's really happening in these verses let's talk about the adult version the version for doubters what is happening it's the most famous teen pregnancy of all time mtv's got nothing on this story um, there's there's this incredible event happening in this child's in this this girl's life. Um, you know the TV show Jane the Virgin tried to make something of this as well, uh, but it's kind of making it. It's kind of belittling what's in Matthew and Luke in the stories. There's reputations that are ruined, reputations like Joseph's and Mary's. He's they're going to be married, and uh, she's found to have a baby already. Um, so, I mean, this is going to be a real problem. He's a devout man. He's just planning on leaving her. Incredible embarrassment. So that's the second thing. Running from authorities. They're being hunted down. There's actual killing of children happening uh, after Jesus is born. So there's there's not just this happy one moment in the scene. There's the actual um, Herod coming for them. There's rejection, they get kicked out of the inn, or they're just turned away, is the famous line. There's squalor, if you're in a barn, and how many people today have been in a barn where animals live, and what it really smells like, and what it would really mean to be setting your newborn on some straw, or um, I've also heard the manger was actually a cave, there's some historical discussions around those things. But this is, ima- this is to imagine something that most people today, especially in America, could not ima- could not even fathom. Poverty, not having enough money to stay anywhere, um, being on the move. You know, it's uh, Joseph, who obviously had a trade as a carpenter, was still ov- clearly not a rich man, and Mary's family apparently not either. There's terror in the night. There's, this happens uh, several times. In the forms of dreams, from that Joseph receives, and uh, they they take action immediately. There's anxiety of starting a new family, and anyone who's been through this, or even growing up with their family, knows what that can mean. Where a new baby is coming, or someone is starting something completely new, and parents usually have no clue how to even start this. This is the this. There's also this element of risk, risking everything. Oh. Uh, So, while they're risking everything, there's just one small detail, and I'm being sarcastic here, the small detail of the supernatural entering into nature. So, God becoming man, the incarnation, the incarnation means to become flesh. Um, This event, of course, if it happens, is the greatest event in history, and it's something that almost gets pushed aside because this is the actual miracle part, and one, I would recommend one book um, on, there's C.S. Lewis wrote one called Miracles, which is a great read. And for anyone who struggles with that, um, I would recommend just giving that a read. It's it's uh, also a fun read. Uh, but clearly, that small detail of the supernatural entering into nature is why Christmas is, is what it is. It's only the second biggest holiday in the Christian year, second to Easter where the resurrection occurs but the Incarnation is enormous event and if you believe it it changes your life. So um, what why why do I think these are um, not seen the way they should be today? Well I think the gospels are guilty of extreme understatement in their in their telling. There's just sometimes words that are so, Um, plain but they're telling something that's incredible and and that's why it's it's amazing to those who do believe and other people who have seen manger scenes all the times in their life kind of pass them by as just these cartoonish nonsense things that some people believe and others don't but what's really happening in these infancy narratives of matthew and luke are eight events and i'm The eighth one is maybe a stretch because he's no longer an infant, but we're going to talk about these eight events. The Annunciation of when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. The second one is Joseph's dream. Actually, he has four dreams. So um, Joseph's dream has an impact on the family several times. There's the visitation when Mary goes to see Elizabeth. There's the birth of Jesus, and that's the nativity scene that we're all uh, accustomed to seeing. Then there's the magi, of course, the three wise men who come, the epiphany. They come to uh, offer gifts to Jesus, and that gets rolled into the nativity scene. There's the flight into Egypt, and and also, uh, I'm not sure the order, the presentation in the temple, I would assume, is before the flight into Egypt, but those two events are some of those um things that happen that are key events in the in the infancy of jesus and then lastly and this is my favorite one is finding jesus in the temple and when he's 12 years old so we have the infancy of story of jesus and then we have nothing or barely anything and then we have he's 12 years old in the temple and then we don't hear anything and then all of a sudden he's beginning his ministry um in galilee so The Rosary for Catholics, and that's I'm a Catholic. uh, The Joyful Mysteries uh, cover these infancy narratives, and when you're when you're doing those infancy narratives or the the Joyful Mysteries, you know, like I always say, you put yourself in the scene, and that makes a huge difference. Even if you're trying to read Matthew or Luke, these those two sections on these things, especially the Annunciation. Um, If you try to imagine what this would be like, or if you try to imagine what the shepherds in the field, when the heavenly hosts appear, I mean, (laughs) these things would would terrorize us today, as I'm sure they did those people then. So um, another thing to keep in mind is the amount of mileage the Holy Family, Mary and Joseph, are putting on in these infancy narratives. They're going from uh, Galilee to Judea, you know, to, to Jer- Jerusalem, Bethlehem. They're going to Egypt. Uh, there's, I don't know how many hundreds of miles they're putting on, and this is, of course, before cars. And if they're lucky, they may have had a donkey, or they're doing it by foot. We don't real, I guess, we don't really know. Clearly, they didn't need to worry about carb diets because uh, they needed a lot of calories in those days. <laughs> so the things we worry about today, compared to what people would have been worried about then, but obviously your reputation and your your uh, family and uh, your how people perceive you would be enormous things, and they're going through these events that are changing their lives dramatically every moment. Let's start on the Annunciation. So the Annunciation is when Mary is approached by the angel, and Gabriel tells her. Um, he says, "He says, Mary, you're full of grace." So, for anyone who's familiar with the Hail Mary, that's where this line is coming from, and She's she's in her room and she says, "Let it be done to me." Um, that's Mary's fiat. It's called her fiat. It's the ultimate yes to God, and that's why we are uh, we we love Mary. You know, um, I know uh, Catholics are we are, we're very into saying prayers for Mary, the Hail Mary, obviously the Rosary, and Mary is known as the undoer of knots, as her obedience to God fixes Adam and Eve's disobedience to God. Um, but one of the things is, it's it's understated in this, where this angel appears in her room, and she's she says, "How can I be pregnant?" Like she questions, she questions the angel, and you know he says basically that all things are possible with God, and she says, "Let it be done to me." So there's been some uh, strange misperceptions um, in the world of uh, that God came and and. Uh, did something bad to Mary when the literal words out of her mouth and clearly the gospel biographers, the writers knew Mary and she says, let it be done to me. So it's the ultimate consent and fiat is the word. So um, the undo, there's so much artwork around the Annunciation. If you look up Annunciation artwork, uh, it's, it's really something to see how through the ages people have drawn this this event because it's so um, captivating and amazing to people that there's just thousands of different versions. And I wish uh, modern people would actually do some more of these drawings of the Annunciation because it is one of these powerful events. Okay, moving on. Uh, Joseph has four dreams. So he plans, Joseph is planning to leave Mary, his first dream. He's, he's planning to leave Mary but an angel reveals Jesus' identity. and what does Joseph do? He obeys. His reputation is probably gone because he he's he's told not to leave her, to believe. and so he's he's staying with her. He said he was going to leave quietly. His plan was not to like embarrass her, but to leave quietly and then he's told by this angel not to do that. And what's, what's the, what do we take out of this? Well, God calls and Joseph answers, he does the right thing his second dream the angel instructs joseph that herod will kill jesus so this is a second dream clearly something terrifying and what does he do joseph wakes the family right then and there and they leave in the night so they go to egypt they fl- they flee to egypt that's the second dream and so clearly he's a person of action he's this is the the fear and terror of this is is apparent and he takes action immediately. So the third dream, uh, he, he's told to return from Egypt. This is after Herod has um, killed all the children two and under back where they were living and he returns to Israel, he acts immediately, he doesn't wait. So it's hard to imagine anyone in our modern world just being leaving on a, on a night's notice just in the evening because uh, we had a dream. So you have to realize what this would even mean for a family, how uh, difficult this would be, especially if he had work. Anyone who has work, just like back then, they would have had jobs to complete or things like this. He just leaves. So, you know, again, reputation. What kind of uh, reputation would you have if you're just leaving and doing those things? Uh, His fourth dream is to make a home in Galilee. That's, That's where he's told go make your home in Galilee. So Joseph, they move there, uh, He works as a carpenter, and he raises Jesus in the trade. So that, uh, you know, if we're looking at Jesus as the life to follow of how do we live our lives, we have a trade, we work, we do the right thing. um, We follow when God calls, we follow. And Joseph does all of these things. And one of the most amazing things is that Through all of this, Joseph says nothing in the Gospels. He doesn't say anything, but he says a lot in his actions. In fact, 2021 for uh, the Catholic Church was the year of St. Joseph where a lot of people were consecrating their lives to Joseph. And uh, because of what he represents as a father, he's someone to model your life after. Of course, Jesus is the main one, but... um, you know he's he's in these dreams. The Lord appears to him and says, "Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." And he accepts that, so he has a yes to God of his own that is extremely powerful. Uh, the visitation. Let's talk about that. Mary travels 90 miles to visit her cousin elizabeth and of john the baptist is is she's carrying him um they're both pregnant at the same time and that's where mary has her famous magnificat the prayer where she says my soul proclaims the greatness of the lord or my soul magnifies the greatness of the lord so the magnificat is almost like a poem type of prayer that's why i guess when it seems that luke uh, must have conversed with mary right you know he must have known her or there's there's when he's writing this the way it's written you have to assume they knew each other um, and talk to each other so um, in any case john leaps in elizabeth's womb when when she arrives when they're talking and mary stays for three months helping she's um, giving of herself as usual mary's uh, bringing joy to people she's She's uh, always powerful in all any scene in the in the Bible that she's in. So uh, that's the visitation. So she's there for several months, and then she returns. So that's when the birth of Jesus essentially happens. Mary travels ninety miles back home, um, and then she seems to go ninety miles again to Bethlehem. So there's the. So I was mentioning this this incredible amount of travel that's happening and what happens when they get to where they're going for the, they're going for the census of course well they're rejected from the inn the innkeeper says there's no room here so off they go to the animal barn potentially the manger's more like a cave i don't really know you can read all about that if you like but uh, the shepherds who shows up so they you know the she gives birth you know there's not really much detail like i said the understatement of the gospels is you cannot understate the understatement of these writers because they just say these sentences where there's a ton of things happening, and today we would write uh, pages upon pages of these things, uh, but it wasn't so easy. There wasn't uh, as much paper or time or anything to write back then. There wasn't the internet, so. Uh, but the shepherds come to see the Lamb of God. Why is this important? Because it's not kings, it's not rich people, it's not the business owners. It's not the ones that you would expect who would come and see something so magnificent as the incarnation of God. It's the common, regular people. Shepherds didn't have good reputations. They were probably sort of drifters or uneducated. Just like uh, today, that's the way people, it's just the way it is. The, the there's People think of educated people with wealth as better somehow so it was the same then which is obviously not true but that is human nature so um, the fact that the shepherds are the first to come and see the lamb of god is critical to understanding the whole the last will be first and the first will be last in whole jesus's life and ministry what's the other important part of this birth that the all-powerful god came to us in the form of a baby he was his family was poor, they were rejected, he was vulnerable in a barn, and I've heard uh, from uh, Bishop Barron mention, Robert Barron say, he was, uh, God was not even able to pick up his head, so you think about how vulnerable this is, if if you believe in the incarnation of God, he's come as the most vulnerable form, and even as Jesus lives his life, that's what you see as well, and as I said before, this is the most important event in all history if you believe in this uh, this possibility. It's central to the faith. It's second only to the resurrection. And the consumer version of Christmas trivializes this whole event and it just brushes it aside. So, uh, that's one thing is, you know, when people get excited about Christmas versus the holidays and whatnot, um, it's because if you do believe in the incarnation of God, it's a centerpiece of your life that this happened, that He came here to save us from our sins. So, Uh, It means a lot, I guess is what I'm trying to say, and a cartoon nativity doesn't quite get that across like you'd like it to. So after that, after that uh, nativity scene, the birth of Jesus, there's the presentation at the temple, which is where Mary and Joseph, as devout Jews, they bring Jesus to the temple, and there's a man there named Simeon, and he's drawn to the temple by the Holy Spirit, and he recognizes Jesus as the Messiah. So, uh, the story of Simeon's kind of interesting in in the in the Gospels, and then there's also Anna, the elderly widow. She's there, someone who's praying all the time. You can still see many elderly uh, women today at, at churches frequently praying, and they rec. She recognizes Jesus as the Redeemer of the world right away. So this is a uh, this presentation is them following the customs or the the law of of their people and you know this is something that you see in jesus's life as i always say he's showing us how to live he constantly is showing us how to live and so are mary and joseph so it's not just like oh they went to the church that day all of this has a purpose in there why did they do that it's because they went there to present him at the temple as the Jews did and um, I always have this admiration for Joseph as a devout believer follower of his faith and same with Mary so those are things that you're not just reading them for the story you're reading them for how are they living their lives and that's what we admire so then there's the visit of the magi or the epiphany so um, whether the presentation came first or the or the the Magi I'm not really sure but the Magi uh, they are looking for Jesus these these philosophers or or kings we call them they come looking for Jesus so they go to Herod who's the king at the time and they want to know if they know where he if if the king knows where he is and Herod of course sees this as a threat to his power and he wants to kill Jesus or he wants to kill whoever this threat to his power could be so, He says, if you find them, if you find this family, let me know, because I also want to go and worship. And obviously, what he really wants to do is go and um, put the sword to them, as that's what he ends up doing later on. But the Magi, these three people, they do not report back to Herod. This is part of the story. It's actually important where they go and they do find where the family is and they pay homage to jesus they know what's happening and they do not go back to herod as he requested they leave by another route so there's this um it is it's like a a mafia story where herod's just hey uh you know it'd be a shame if something happened to that nice family of yours kind of thing uh he's 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 looking, he's using people. He's trying to find a way to get them because anything that threatens his worldly power is a problem. And he clearly senses something is, is happening as he has his decree go out and his his minions or soldiers to go and kill the children who are under two years old. That is not conveyed in a manger scene in the cartoon. This idea that they're actually going out and killing children, the soldiers are... That's, um, <clears throat> that's something that just goes completely missed of why is Joseph so terrorized that when he has a dream, they will flee to Egypt on, a, on a, the minute he, it occurs to him as he's being uh, messaged really to, to say it's time to go because we will probably be killed otherwise. Uh, and as far as the gifts from the Magi, you know, you always see the f- gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So gold is for a king Frankincense is for a priest, and myrrh is for a sacrifice. So uh, there's always these ideas of Jesus as priest, prophet, and king. The gifts have a meaning. They're you know, gold, king, frankincense, incense, priest, myrrh, a sacrificial type of thing. So those are important little details. There's a lot of details in there. You know, if you really read closely, like I said, you can't just read it or watch Charlie Brown. Um, you have to read it closely and look for those things, the meaning in there. And then the next event is the flight into Egypt. So the family flees knowing that Herod is attempting to kill them. And they remain there until the death of Herod. <clears throat> People are trying to murder them. That's something I don't think is realized when someone looks at a, um, a cartoon version of the of the nativity. That while we, we love the nativity for the glory of God of what's happening... There's not the fear and the terror, and even the shepherds, like I mentioned, uh, seeing the hosts of angels in the sky, and it's, it says they were terrorized or, or fear, and they fell to the ground, but I don't think it really tells how scared they were, or how scared Joseph and Mary were, or how scared Mary might have been when the Annunciation happened. That's the, um, the one thing we don't get, we don't get this. I think in some of the Greek epics, they were a little more uh, emotional or descriptive on some of these things, but the gospel writers were not, they weren't entertainment writers. They were, they were biographies writers telling us about Jesus's life so that we would believe. And I wish they would have um, (laughs) splashed in a few more adjectives and description of some of these feelings of what they were having. So you have to read it closely to, and slowly to really see it. Okay, now my favorite one is Jesus found in the temple when he's 12 years old. It's the only story between his infancy narratives and his adulthood when his ministry begins. So the family this uh, leaves him behind somehow. They leave him in, in Jerusalem, and they're caravanning back to home, to Nazareth. And then some, so they realize, oh, he's not with us, Oh okay it's like leaving the uh the the car carrier for the kid um the the car seat on top of the car when you're driving away or something you, you just can't do that like this is one of these moments in the story where it's somewhat stunning because they would have been traveling in a big caravan but maybe Jesus was supposed to be with his uncle uh uncle Harry or something and Harry was kind of the ne'er-do-well uncle who knows and oh yeah I don't know where he is well So they have to go back three days, it takes them three days, it's one of these um, three-day things that you see, like Jonah in the belly of the whale for three days, and um, they have to go back for three days to get to the temple to find Jesus, and Jesus rises after three days, you see that number reappear, but where do they find him? He's in the temple, and doing what? He's speaking with knowledge, and he is teaching among the elders, and then there's the Two key words of this entire event that I think is forgotten and needs to be broadcast and trumpeted. He's asking questions. He's asking questions in all caps. And this is one of those things, Jesus, who is the incarnation of God, but he's also fully human, fully divine. He's also asking questions, which is what we should be doing And I think in some of my earlier episodes, I've said, what turned me away was when I asked questions, I didn't get answers, or I was kind of told, don't ask questions, just believe. Well, Jesus himself is asking questions. And this is one of these moments that makes him truly fully human and fully divine to me, because you can see that he's this precocious, gifted child. He's 12 years old. He'd be like middle school. And he's asking questions, but he's also teaching. So he has this both elements of divinity and humanity. And that's why it's so amazing. I think when you see these two things together happening in these stories, it's actually kind of stunning. But the first time I've read over that, I've read it several times in my life. And I realized that he's asking questions. He's God. Why would he ask questions? Because he's human too. So he's learning. He's growing. He's going through the normal phases of life like we do. So ask questions. If anyone tells you don't ask questions, find somebody else. Okay, that's all I'm going to say on that. Uh, Common questions around this stuff, um, around these events. I'm just going to go quick over these. The Immaculate Conception. There's many people who think the Immaculate Conception was that um, it's about Jesus' birth. No, it's about Mary. Mary was born without sin. It refers to Mary's birth. Not Jesus's birth. Jesus's birth is the virgin birth. So there's a difference there. Um, the Catechism goes into this if you want to read the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's uh, paragraphs four ninety one to four ninety three and five oh two to five oh seven. There's another mention in here um, which I thought I'd I'd just briefly touch on. There says there's a um, mention in the Bible of Jesus's brothers, and it depends on the translation you read, but this means Jesus's relatives, not his. brothers brothers. So brethren, brethren is the word, and that means cousins, or his extended family. Uh, again, on this, if you would like to read up on it, uh, I'm, I'm always pointing people to the catechism. That'd be paragraphs 499 to 501. Okay, finally, the assumption. This is where we believe Mary was taken up into heaven. This is at the end of Mary's life, so I'm only mentioning this because it. some people sometimes confuse it of when did this happen but this is Mary taken up into heaven body and soul. It's a mystery of our faith, like the incarnation where you do have to take leaps of faith for these. Um, and that's that's the difficulty of course, for many people. And no one's going to be coerced into believing that. So um, as I could never be coerced, nor could anyone, nor should they be, nor would they have a true faith if they were coerced into it. Uh, any Anyone who thinks you can coerce someone to believe in the story of Jesus, Is uh, fooling themselves because it doesn't work that way. It's all about the change of heart internally, not just doing external things to um, appear like you believe. (laughs) That's not what Jesus was talking about at all, and especially if you read it closely. Um, So, what is there's there's a saying about these infancy narratives as being mini gospels because they're like a preview of the entire gospel. So, these infancy narratives going from the Annunciation through. Um, the nativity to Joseph, you know, Joseph's dreams, the visitation, the flight to Egypt. Well, they reveal Jesus's identity, his mission, the role of the Holy Spirit, and Jesus's concern for the poor and the vulnerable, because he was the poor and the vulnerable. And that's one of his, uh, like Mother Teresa's five-finger fin- five gospel, um, you did it to me, those five words, you did it to me. Uh, that's from Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Um what the reason Jesus is, he was the poor and the vulnerable. So, part of um, the social teaching of the church is that you, you know, you should be doing works of charity, works of mercy, and those things because Jesus was poor, vulnerable. He was suffering, his family was suffering, and they were rejected. He was rejected. And then there's also the other side of it with struggle, but there's victory, there's uh, obedience, but glory, there's humility. But love—it's how to live. So that's that mini gospel in these infancy ones. Um, one other thing: Mother of God. So I already mentioned that when she, when she when Mary goes to see Elizabeth, uh, there's there's some parts of the Hail Mary in that. Just like when Gabriel says to Mary, "You're full of grace." Well, Mother of God is also another one of these sayings in in this uh, in the visitation, and so. The Latin word is Theotokos. It means mother of God. I think I said the Latin word right. I really don't know any Latin. But she's um, Mary is the mother of God's son who is divine. Jesus is divine and he's part of the Trinity. She is the mother of God. So that's why we say that. Um, Again, and this I've talked about a little bit before, but we're looking for religious truth in here. We don't read the infancy narratives like a science book uh, I, I don't go to read about um, cells or molecular biology in the Gospels. I read, I go there to read about the soul, about our human life, our soul. If I want to read about cells, I go to that molecular biology book. This is truth from God written through human writers. So it's using the, the gifts of these human writers of like Matthew and Luke to convey this to us, and it's revealed only what God wants us to know and no more. That's one of the key things is that we're being told what God wants us to know through these writers and that's it. We're re- he's revealed what he's going to reveal and we get to um, have be happy that we've had that much revealed, obviously. <laughs> We'd like to know everything that God knows, but we can't. Uh, so just to mention the Catholics read the Bible differently from other christians we know that symbols are used we read for the literal and the allegorical meaning and for the historical purpose and i'm not saying that we're the catholics are the only one to do that but it's it is important to understand how we do it and one thing i think this is important to say is you're not dumb and you don't have to act like you are <clears throat> that's that's something i think some people think when they're looking at these stories and they think well I want to believe it, but I just can't. And I'm going to pretend I do, but um, I I feel kind of stupid because it seems like it's too fantastic to have really happened. That's not the way you should, in my opinion, you should be reading these stories. You should be reading them and asking questions because there's a lot of people who have asked questions long before you or me, and there's an answer. So you can find those things out. Uh, There's tons of books Um, Ignatius Press is my favorite place to go look for books or Ave Maria Press but there are books on every possible question you can have and um, you can find them out so what is the whole point of this well it's speaking to deeper truths that we know in our heart and it's not just the cartoon nativity so um, the historical and scientific information may not be accurate from those times obviously they're talking from writing from 2000 years ago and their culture was different. Uh, it's it's a different era. It's a different time. But we're looking for religious truth. And we're looking for, we believe that there's inerrancy in what they're writing. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we interpret what God is telling us. So just for one example of this, if you hear uh, someone have a problem with, say, when, when they, they read, Adam was 930 years old, you can read this as, Adam was very old. Okay? So... Was he 930 years old? I don't know, but the writer may have put that in there uh, <laughs> to exemplify how old he was. It's kind of like when it says uh, the Israelites went and crushed the nation and destroyed them to everyone. It's kind of like when you say um, the Minnesota Vikings crushed the Green Bay Packers uh, when they won by 14 points or something. You know, like it's it's there can be some of that, and I think interpreting it with that historical allegorical and literal also the literal interpretation is important even though sometimes that one's the hard one so if you're struggling with that look to the catechism that's where i always look when i have a question i go there Um, there's other places as well look to the the, look to the bible itself first obviously look for instruction among other places and the catechism is the one i go to so now there's tons of artwork around all these nativity scenes there's tons of amazing artwork if you google nativity scenes or you use one of the search engines duck duck go something like that something better than google um i would recommend but there's uh many many different pictures where the star is present the angels are there the Parents are present, they're adoring Jesus, the animals are there, the shepherds are there, the magi is there, all of these things in one place. Because they're trying to put everything in from these stories into one thing. Because why? It's the biggest event in history. It's the first will be last, and the last will be first. And there's the saying that um in the creed itself, where we say every Sunday, for us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven and by the power of the Holy Spirit was incarnate. Of the Virgin Mary and became man. Now, that's obviously um, a major event in history. So, what happens then um, if you've turned away from it? There's a saying, and I think this happens to high schoolers, college age people, people in their twenties and thirties a lot. And it's but to to turn. I've already mentioned this in some of the other podcasts. But Jesus says, "Amen." I say to you, unless you turn. And become like children you will not enter the kingdom of heaven this turning so you at one point in your life you'll turn away when you're a child it might be easy to believe when you're adult it might be where you're struggling because you're taking so much noise on from all over the world there's so many distractions there's so much to learn there's so many doubts. You can't make hay of anything because nothing makes sense. Your own life is driving you this way and that. You're getting mixed messages from advertising and media, and that's going to bombard you until you know, you're 90 years old. There's no avoiding that. But once you go back and read the actual Matthew and Luke, read them all, read the whole books. Don't let someone else talk you out of it. Don't read books about the New Testament. Read the New Testament read that first. Don't read the other ones, because the other books have already decided where they're going to steer you. Let yourself be steered the way your heart tells you. That's where you really want to be. That's where you're going to find the answers that you want. And I think until you've looked at it again deeply, uh, the nativity scene that seems like nonsense, read it again, come back, and then you appreciate it even more. The cute little nativity scene is actually quite awesome in what it conveys because both children and adults can make sense of it. And I think of that with other things like the Garden of Eden, where children and adults can make sense of it. Children can understand the apple, the the snake, Adam and Eve, God in the garden, the fall. And adults who have lived through experiences can also understand the fall (laughs) just because you're coming at it from a different approach. You've been through life. You've felt these things and understand it of why they wrote it in such a way. It makes a lot more sense because you know your own heart has a flaw in it. There are many flaws um, in my case and probably most people's, I would think. No one gets off free in this world. Um, recognizing that you are a sinner is obviously very hard to do nowadays, as we're told that we are not or that we are um, beautiful in every single way. Uh, but once you realize that and you can turn back, then not only will something like the fall in the garden make sense, but so will the nativity scene where all of these things are jammed into one little scene. and even the emoji cartoon scene where everyone's smiling ear to ear and it looks like it's super clean and there's no manure in the manger or anything, then those little cute scenes are a beautiful thing because they convey all of the all of the wonder of this world into one little cute little manger scene thanks everybody